You're listening to Founders on Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. This podcast is sponsored by Zoom to You, Australia's on-demand courier marketplace. Get your parcels delivered within hours rather than days. Today we have with us Bernadette Olivier and Kim Atkins, co-founders and co-CEOs of The Vault, the Airbnb for designer fashion. Hey, Bernadette and Kim, how are you both? I'm well, thanks, Mike. We're great, thank you. Welcome to the program and thanks for joining us today. And congrats on what you're building with The Vault. It's another fantastic Aussie sharing economy success story. Oh, thanks. No, it's really exciting. So yeah, it's a really exciting journey to be on. So yeah, we're very excited right now. So let's kick off with a bit of a different question. What do you both do when you're not busy running The Vault? Well, both Kim and I and our other co-founders are all mums as well. So we all, I think between the four of us, we have 12 children. So that takes up quite a lot of time when we're not at work. So kind of, yeah, between work and the vault being such an all-encompassing part of our life and the kids, the last few years we've probably not had time for much else. Um, But it's interesting that you asked this question because at the end of last year, Kim and I both decided that we needed to uh, try and get fit because we do a weekly personal training session with our team here for those of them who want to join so i have started running i'm training for an ultra marathon in a team i'm not doing it by myself and kim (laughs) has started training because she's doing one of a big open water swimming event yeah i've chosen to swim to rotnest island which is 21 kilometers from perth but also in a team of four so Mm. won't be doing the whole 21 k's on myself so we've decided that's our current challenges as if we didn't have enough with the vault and our families (laughs) Amazing. So um, how, how do you manage that work-life balance? I mean, is there, is there such a thing with startups? I mean, um, I've only got two kids and, you know, but uh, how, do you, how do you guys manage that? Yeah, I would have to say I don't really think there probably is an optimum work-life balance, um, particularly when you've got sort of family and a startup. I guess for us at the moment it's really probably like a day-to-day thing and a juggle just depending what comes on. I mean, we really do try and set our priorities each week, don't we, and sort of split up the task. But as you know, in a startup, things move very fast and what you come in to do one day often won't be what you end up doing. So I guess we just try and use like maybe our experience from previous lives as lawyers as well, just to try and prioritise time between work and family but I'd say it's a juggle and I wouldn't say there's an optimum balance ever is there no I think it's just constantly juggle that some weeks you feel like you're definitely you know doing more and you're making you know everything work and other weeks you just feel more unbalanced particularly if we're really busy with something at work or you know you're traveling or something like that but I just think it's a constant juggle and it's something that you're you're constantly trying to make it work so tell us a little bit about the vault So The Vault is an online designer fashion rental marketplace. So we have lenders that are both individuals and we also have a lot of uh, dress rental boutiques on the lender side as well. And it basically allows users to earn an income from their closet and it allows borrowers to access fashion at a fraction of the retail price. And it's it's a great idea. I love it. And how, how how did it all come about? How did it get started? So it got started in a couple of ways, actually. I was dealing with a personal problem where I was going to a lot of weddings and constantly needing new items and didn't really think that buying a new dress for every wedding made sense financially or or sustainably, or sustainable, sustainably. And in addition, I was actually in the US when Rent the Runway was taking off. And what I realised was I loved the whole concept of rent 
printing designer fashion. But what I realised was that the business-to-consumer model was always going to have issues in terms of supply because when you narrowed by your size and by your event date, their 2,000 items, because it was much smaller back then, would shrink to, you know, just a few items that you could choose from. So, and I thought because of fashion being so cyclical, there was going to always be issues with that model and that there was an opportunity um, from a sharing economy perspective. It's essentially your wardrobe in the cloud, right? Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and so how many dresses or outfits does a typical person have in their wardrobe at home, would you say? So we'd probably say that a typical person would have between 10 to 20 dresses or outfits in their wardrobe. And the average Australian woman actually buys 40 new pieces a year. Um, but would you believe the majority of those are only actually worn once? So with the vault, we sort of thought if we could somehow also allow women to share their closets while also enabling them to monetize their closets. That would be a really great thing. Great idea. And so how many dresses do you have today or or sort of how many outfits do you have on your platform? Um, So now we started when we launched, we had 400 items and we're now over 30,000 items on our marketplace. Wow, that's awesome. And so how did you both get started as entrepreneurs? You mentioned um, you were lawyers previously. Sort of how did that shift sort of change and happen? We both had quite different journeys. Um, so I think I started, started, th- started thinking about starting my own business. I was working in a hedge fund in London and I got exposed to other entrepreneurs who were starting their own businesses and probably got inspired by that. Um, so I was thinking about it ever since I moved back to Australia and playing around with different ideas. And then when we had this idea, we did a lot of research. We really worked out whether or not it was a viable, viable career option for us. So that was, and then when Kim agreed to join me on the journey, that was when it really kick-started for me. You had a bit of a different journey because you'd done something similar before. Yeah, so probably since I was about eight years old, all I ever wanted to be, which was a lawyer. So obviously (laughs) I was starting down that path. And then in 2009, um, my husband and I actually started our own medical practice. So I guess I'd had a bit of a taste and a glimpse into what it was like to do your own startup, your new business. So I guess seeing that through and seeing that developed really probably um, got me on the path of entrepreneurship and got me excited about wanting to do my own thing too. And then someone, Bernadette and I, got together and discussed the bold idea. We just thought it was really too good not to give it a go, didn't we? Yeah. Awesome. And so what was that feeling like in the moment you decided to quit your, your jobs and, and start this? I mean, I think it was scary, but I think we were both pretty excited. We we really thought about it and done a lot of research and worked two jobs while the site was being built. So I think we were excited because we just knew how much could be done. And so we were pretty, yeah, pretty pumped just to be able to focus on it and really create something. Yeah, awesome. And especially something exciting that we couldn't find that existed anywhere. So whilst rental fashion was around, there was no rental fashion marketplaces. So to do something that was like maybe game-changing was actually really exciting for us too, wasn't it, to sort of try and be the leader in that area. Yeah. I don't know if being a lawyer was that exciting. So maybe <laughs> that was the other side. <laughs> we come from a low base. Yeah. And when you started, was Rent the Runway uh, running in the U.S.? Yes, so Rent the Runway was running, but what we'd noticed with Rent the Runway and those B2C uh, versions of dress rentals is that the price point for their average item had come down significantly. So 
in terms of a retail price, their average price point um, at Rent the Runway is about three to four hundred dollars, and it rents out for about a hundred dollars. Whereas we was we were able to identify there's this whole luxury market not being catered for, and that the unit economics for B to C just don't work yeah, for those okay. items that are sort of a thousand, two thousand dollars. So we're really bringing dress rentals to those luxury end users as well. Our average price point's a thousand dollars for our dresses. Wow. And also we had a bit of a point of difference where unlike Rent the Runway, people could actually monetize their closets as well. So that's what we're quite excited about as well, because the sharing economy hadn't hit the fashion market like the fashion industry yet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, excellent. And so you're our first co-founding uh, entrepreneurs on on the show today um, what, what's it like sort of having a co-founder and and how do you deal with sort of uh, disagreements to be honest because we've had such a strong relationship from the start I couldn't imagine doing it alone and it is a pretty you know a roller coaster journey I think what helps is that the four of us because there's four co-founders we're all very pragmatic so since very early days, we've been able to really talk out issues without anybody getting upset or emotional. And so I think that pragmatism is a really strong part of our relationship. Also, from very early on, we wrote down, you know, it was literally back of the envelope stuff, but sort of like cultural things that we wanted to agree between the four of us because we knew we were a very lean team. So we wanted us to all feel that we were empowered to make decisions. But even if we make the wrong call, that there was no blame and that we were going to be solutions focused. And we still do that to this day because you, you kind of do the best job you can in the moment that you're making decisions or, you know, sometimes you miss an email or that sort of thing. And we've always really tried to make sure that we just be solutions focused. Let's not hash out. There's no point kind of crying over spilt milk. Yeah. So I think that those things have really been important. I also think a really strong part of our relationship is that we don't all think the same way. You probably would think is a negative, but for us it's been a positive because I think if you all think the same way, you can go down the wrong path a very long way, whereas pretty much all big issues we really you know, flesh out and argue both sides of um, the agreement. So, yeah, I think that's been another big positive for us. Yeah, I definitely think, as Benedette said, like I don't think we could have probably done it without each other and having a co-founder to assist on the way. And I think another thing on top of to add to what um, Benedette said is I think because we all do come from very different backgrounds, different skill sets, one thing that we've also done is we've, from the start, we tried to give each other distinct roles so we're not crossing over each other all the time. And I think that's really helped us move forward a long way. And then, like she said, the trust. So sometimes if you can't all get together or you can't all have an emergency meeting about something, we just have to trust the other co-founder to move forward with something and trust that they've made the right decision with the facts they had. Yeah, okay, makes sense. And did you set up a shareholders agreement in the, in the early days between the co-founders? Yeah, we did. We did. Being lawyers. There's a lot of agreements. (laughs) We have excellent governance. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, yes, we did do the shareholders agreement early on. And how how valuable do you think that's been? Sorry? How valuable do you think it's been? To be honest, to, to date, it hasn't really been a huge thing that we've needed to rely on because we've had such great relationships with each other and really great relationships with our investors. We've never really reached the point where we need to turn back to the shareholders agreement. But I think a shareholders agreement, you always need that because some, you never know what's going to happen. And it's really there to protect everyone's rights when things go wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to hear some advice from some lawyers. <laughs> um, so how long have you been in business now? 
So we launched May 2017. So yeah, this is our fourth year. Amazing. So what was it like early on in the business and how did you get that early traction, that elusive early traction? Well, I think, you know, being Kim and I being, you know, really good researchers, uh, we worked out pretty early on that we needed money for the build, but we needed a lot of money for the marketing, particularly for a marketplace because you're building supply and demand. I think, you know, some of the questions we sometimes get at, um, you know, startup events is, you know, I built it and no one's coming to my website. I think it's never been easier to build a website and it's never been harder for your customers to find you. So I think that that was quite key to our traction was making sure we had a marketing strategy with our bootstrapped money. So I think that that was really key. I also think early on we really understood the value of customer service. So that was us. We didn't have a team. So it was just the four of us. And, you know, it would go to all of our phones. We all had different names. Like I would always be Summer on customer service. Um, so we understood that marketplaces aren't a set and forget, um, that you actually have to be giving customer service that you'd expect to receive from a business. So we like to think that we can always turn a negative into a positive. So I think that that was quite key to getting early traction and also getting those early adopters to come back and have those repeat transactions, um, which has been a really key part of our growth strategy. And then we did the, then we did all the number of, because you bootstrapped when you first start, we used pretty much most of our money on tech or marketing. We did a lot of hacks. Yeah. Um, that cost no money. So we did things like viral social media campaigns, like win dresses for a year, which went, that went crazy, that one. We did things like we did a wedding video on Harry, like a spoof video on Harry and Meghan's wedding that yeah. went viral as well I on Facebook we got- and Bachelor blogs. So we just sort of tried anything to try and get brand awareness and traction that was free really at the time, yeah. isn't it? Bootstrapping makes you be quite creative. Yes. <laughs> and so you you kicked off with a marketplace SaaS um, similar to, to what we did at Spacer, um, I believe, using... Uh, near me, which is now rebranded to Platform OS. What made you go down that path and tell us a bit about that experience rather than building your own platform from day one? So Genevieve, one of our other co-founders, she's managed tech teams at universities, but she's not a coder herself. So she didn't feel comfortable being called the chief technical officer. So we knew we had to outsource it. And we were just lucky enough that we just got connected to Adam Broadway, who is the CEO and founder of Platform OS. And it's really been a pretty amazing relationship. He was really, really encouraging. He's always put time aside to speak to us. In those early days, he really gave us some great advice about what we should and shouldn't do. I have to say that some advice he gave us that we didn't take he was right, which was really irritating. <laughs> um, Adam, Adam's no, always right. I know. <laughs> but he was, and I think because he is such a specialist in marketplaces, he's able to leverage up learnings from his other clients to give you tips about, oh, God, have you thought about this? Um, so, yeah, it's been, a, and, and you're able to build a pretty powerful marketplace at quite a small budget. Um, and so I think for us, it was definitely the right decision. And, yeah, we really see them as part of our team. We talk to them daily. Um, we've sent them photos of all of our children <laughs> when they're born. So, yeah, it's been a really great uh, relationship for us. Fantastic. So how far into the journey did you sort of feel like you'd, you'd achieve that sort of, again, elusive product market fit that we all speak of as founders? 
We'd probably have to say it was maybe our first spring carnival, which was maybe about six months after we launched. And that's when we really felt that the traction hit and we really took off and we thought, I think we've got something here. Yeah, I mean, those early days, you just really, like, I think it mentally you never prepared. Like, those early few months, it really felt slow. I've got to tell you, like, it did, it felt like the orders were few and far between. But then all of a sudden, Spring Carnival hit, and I just think we had some word of mouth marketing really going right around. And yeah, I think that was when we really felt that that we we had a consumer base um, that we could build on. Um, and then that was also a trigger for us in terms of, okay, I think this is time to start raising some external capital because marketplaces do need a lot of money to really go and to get to scale. We, sh- we sure do know that. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, you've both come from a, a corporate background. How do you think that sort of influenced sort of the decisions that you make inside the startups and, and what, you're, what you're doing? And do you think that's been an advantage in having that experience previously? Yeah, I personally definitely think it's been an advantage. Like I think particularly because the two of us have been ex-lawyers, I think like our attention to detail is probably second to none. Um, we've come from like our work ethic and I think when you're in a startup, it, it is relentless. Um, and I think just things like we're pretty used to being calm under pressure um, because it is a roller coaster of a ride. So we sort of brought a lot of those things to us. So whilst we're not tech per se, I think we bring in a lot of other skills that maybe a um, tech co-founder wouldn't have behind them. Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give to someone who's thinking about leaving sort of their corporate role and, and making that shift across? I think um, I, we got some really valuable advice right before we jumped into this, and that was to really make sure that your numbers work. Because um, I think you think a good idea is really great, but if no one's willing to pay for it, or if you need three out of four Australians to be a customer for it to work, it's probably not a good idea. Um, so for us, we really worked out how many transactions do we need? What's what, Where should we set our fees? Um, what do we need to kind of break even? So we really let the numbers do our talking do the talking before we made the big jump the other thing I would definitely do is I just think kind of test your idea like if you can go to a hackathon or something can get a beta product and try and see whether it would work and whether people would actually use it Um, I just don't think that there's any greater proof that your idea is a good idea than if you get some customers yeah it makes sense I think uh, customers tell you whether you've got a product or not yes definitely (laughs) Um, and what, what are the things that have sort of surprised you along the journey where you sort of haven't been expecting uh, good, or, good or bad surprises that have come along? Probably one of the um, good surprises that we've found and um, one of the ones we're most worried about being lawyers is actually that in terms of people renting their, you know, luxury dresses and their prized possessions is that overall in the um, Australian community, they've actually been very respectful of the items, taken very good care of them. And really, we just have not really had any issues in terms of damage or things like that to the items. So we were a little bit concerned about that from a um, damage and liability point of view. So that's probably been a great surprise. I think also the community. community. So our users just chat constantly. Like, you know, Adam Broadway from near me says that we have more messages than any other marketplace built on Platform OS um, because, you know, they send photos or have you thought about wearing it with these shoes? So the community side of it has been a really nice surprise. In terms of bad surprises, we were actually thinking about this. Probably one of the harder times at the vault was through the end of our first year in 2017. Um, it was probably learning because we'd both been on, you know, 
funding journeys before, but always from the other side. So I worked from a hedge fund and Kim worked for banks and things like that. Um, so we pitched um, to a group of angels. We got a lot of um, excitement. We thought we were actually oversubscribed and we thought it was sort of just kind of stopped um, pitching to other people because we thought it was sort of in the bank. And at around the same time, Kim had a baby and um, we were in due diligence at that point. And I, my mother actually got very unwell. And then sort of the day before we were expecting to close the deal, the, it just all fell apart. So I think that what we learned from that was that, you know, you never really trust money until it's in the bank because yeah. deals fall apart all the time. And it hurts a lot more as a founder than it does when you're on the other side. But, you know, we just sort of met. Kim had to come to a meeting 10 days after having a baby. We put more money in the bank account, our own money in the bank account. So we had a longer runway to really start raising and working our networks. And, yeah, we managed to close funding like a few months later. But I think that that was a really valuable lesson because, yeah, we definitely celebrated prematurely on that one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good, good advice. So building a, a great team for any business, but certainly for an early stage business is, is critical to, to the success. I'm sure we'd all agree. How have you gone about hiring the right people in, you know, for your early, your early hires? Yeah, we probably had a um, couple of hiccups with a couple of our early hires, didn't we? So I think a lesson we've learned from that is to probably hire slow and fire fast as a result. And we've also learned not necessarily like, you know, if the skills are what's on paper, but maybe we like look for someone who's got a lot of motivation, enthusiasm, loyalty, and competence and really just wants to, they've got a passion. They also believe in what you're trying to do with the business. And really we've found probably that holds a lot of weight as well as maybe the skills they bring. Yeah, the cultural fit, I think, because, you know, we're such a small team that they have to, you have to be willing to kind of jump across different areas. So I think that that has been really important for us. This podcast is sponsored by Parkhound, Australia's parking marketplace. To find a convenient parking space near your home or office, so tell us a bit about the Perth startup ecosystem. Um, what's it like running a startup on the, on the west coast of Australia? It's had some challenges. <laughs> so we've been really lucky enough to, you know, meet and be able to expand our network in the east coast through both the Sharing Hub, which is, as you guys know, lots of sharing economies, um, marketplaces, but also through the Springboard Network, which we did that accelerator in 2018. But I have to say that Perth is really changing. So when we started, there was, you know, not a lot of marketplaces or other startups that we really felt, you know, that there was a big community here. But in the recent years, it's really been growing. And we've met a lot of wonderful mentors here, um, particularly through our investors, um, who are always willing to chat and, you know, talk about other startups that they're invested in and whether or not some of the learnings that they've had with those, they could, you know, help us. So I really think Perth is going through a real, really exciting phase now. We've just had our biggest fund announced. And, yeah, there's some really interesting startups coming through. And they're also doing a lot in the women in technology space. And so we're both members of the women in technology space here. So I think that that is really exciting for Perth. Tell, tell us a bit more about that. About the women in technology? Yeah, yeah. 
So they're just really pro that making sure that women are visible because, you know, we still make up the minority in terms of startup founders. So they're really pro making sure that, you know, we're there, that we're represented in terms of speakers at conferences, that we also have a lot of nominees for awards, as well as really encouraging younger generations to get involved in startups. So they have a lot of programs to really encourage like high schoolers to look at careers in startups and in tech. Fantastic. Yeah, awesome. And so you've spoken about sort of you've raised some some money to date. So what's that process been like and sort of what are the types of people that you've been able to raise the money from? Yeah, so it's been, I mean, aside from that hiccup we talked about, we've actually had a pretty good funding journey. Part of that, I have to say, is because of Springboard, that accelerator. They really prep you on how to raise and what investors are looking for and making sure that you're across your numbers. So I I really recommend that program. What was the the key sort of learnings that you got from that besides sort of knowing your numbers? I think it's also that you, they really, are they, because it's a, it's a female only accelerator program, they really try to make sure that you don't undercut yourself and that you don't undersell yourself because apparently that is a big issue with female founders, um, that you really own the traction you've got to date and the achievements and what a great opportunity it is to invest in your startup because apparently that is an issue female founders face and I definitely think that that was a great piece of advice that we got given and they also taught us to lead with our traction because you know being a fashion marketplace you sometimes could get the feedback oh you're just sharing dresses like that's fun and so we really learned that we had to when pitching to investors lead with our traction and then lead with our team so and that that would really get investors interested and I have to say that that really was fantastic advice so we've had wonderful investors who are also generous with their time, really generous with their advice. And yeah, that was a really great tactic for us to leave with. Yeah, excellent. And, and the types of investors, have they been sort of family offices or high net worth or some funds? We've all, uh, today it's all been high net worth, but we are, we're also talking with some funds. Yeah, excellent. And do you find, what, what's your experience? Has it been easier sort of raising money from high net worth than funds? It's definitely easier in some ways in terms of you don't have the same governance and those sorts of restrictions that the funds have to meet in terms of their mandates and all the approvals they need to get. But then it comes with different challenges because, you know, there is no there is no governance. So an investor might just call you maybe not at the ideal time and want to talk for an hour about, you know, the vault. Whereas with a fund or something that's more organised, you actually have spaces where, you know, board meetings or things like that where you catch up. Um, so I think there's positive and negatives, but I have to say we, we have great investors, so we really can't complain. That's a really interesting point. So h- how do you manage that? How do you, how do you set those boundaries uh, with your investors? To be honest, we probably don't set boundaries. We really take our responsibilities as founders to our investors pretty highly. Probably we, if they call us, we would definitely try to call them back immediately, probably no matter what time. That's just how we've always rolled. And I, I just, I think it has been quite a good, because we always want to have a really good relationship with our investors. We never want to get an investor who's feeling disgruntled. So having that open relationship with them has been really important for us. And we also provide them with quarterly reports and annual updates. And we also ca- catch up with them formally as a whole, intermittently as well. So they're sort of always a kept abreast of what's going on. Yeah, excellent. And so when you're thinking about sort of the reports you're generating and when you're looking at the numbers, what are the sort of like important metrics that you guys consider? Well, probably our yeah, North Star is um, number of orders per day and number of orders per month. And that's something that we look at 
too much probably. <laughs> um, but then we have a lot of other things we look at, like our repeat customer rate is really important because that tells us a lot about, you know, our customer service and, you know, how that's going because, you know, with a marketplace, it is quite tricky. You can't, we can't control the delivery. We can't control the standard of the dress. We can only control customer service. So we really want to make sure that we're, we're doing a good enough job on that perspective. And probably the third one that we really look at is uniquely a lot of our users are on both sides of our marketplace, their supply and demand. So many of our lenders also rent. Um, we do have a lot of borrowers who don't have things on the site, but yeah, that's quite unique about our marketplace that we have this, we can kind of, uh, recruiting a customer on one side might actually mean that we have a lender on the other. That's yeah, interesting. Cool. So they're, they're lending out, you know, their wardrobe that they're not wearing, but they want to borrow from others to kind of um, yes. extend their wardrobe. We're even seeing that more and more, particularly from a sustainability perspective. So particularly our millennial customers, they're not just renting because they want a new dress every, you know, for every event. They're also renting because of the pollution the fashion industry does and that they want to make sustainable choices. And so even though, you know, you're still going to buy a dress if you rent it on the vault um, you actually carve its carbon footprint. So I think that that's also been a big motivator for a lot of our customers being on both sides. You've shared some great insights with us today. What's the best piece of advice that you've both received along your journey so far? Probably some of mine is that nothing good comes easy and opportunities don't just come along. You really have to work hard to create opportunities. And so within that, I guess, if you attack something with a really high work ethic, and sort of just don't give up if you believe in it, then I think you'll go a long way. Um, and probably mine, I probably think it's two. There was one that I got really early on, and it was actually from, I think it was from Adam Broadway, was just to reach out to people doing something similar to you, that, you know, collaborating with other startups is huge. And, you know, being in Perth at that time, we felt quite isolated. So reaching out to people on LinkedIn and chatting to people on the East Coast who were doing something similar, I think was really key for us. I also think... Another piece of advice was, yeah, you can only eat a dinosaur a bite at a time because you can get quite overwhelmed <laughs> by how much there is to do. So I think kind of ha having that calm and, yeah, and structured approach to everything that you feel like you need to do for your business is, is pretty key. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> so what's next for The Vault? What does the future look like five years down the path? Well, we think in five years... Parkham will probably be described as the vault of parking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, we're looking forward to like continuing to scale in Australia. We think we're really seeing changes in consumer behaviour, which is really exciting. I think fashion is going to be another industry that's consumed in a completely different way to how it has been in the past. So I think, yeah, we're really looking to continue to see that in Australia and we're always looking at new markets and new opportunities. So, yeah. Watch this space. <laughs> Excellent. Sounds uh, super exciting. So I look forward to, to following the, your journey and thanks so much for joining us on Founders On Air. It's uh, been great having you on the program and uh, thanks, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Mike and Steve. So stay tuned. Uh, coming up in the next coming weeks, we've got a number of uh, other founders that were um, joining us on the show. So I look forward to speaking to you then. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to Founders On Air with Steve Orenstein and Mike Rosenbaum. A podcast designed for founders by founders to help you scale your business. For show notes and to ask questions for future episodes, go to foundersonair.com. 
Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll see you next time.